Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello, and welcome to the Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to see uh, and help your salespeople sell more stuff, be more organized, and get deals done faster, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com for the great line of products. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. Sean's nice enough to come on a couple of times a week to talk about what's going on in the market. And a little bit of surprise and shock there on Friday. Um, I was I was too uh I was still reeling from Thanksgiving number one to give you a call, Sean, to talk about it. But it was uh a little bit of surprise there that the new variant of the COVID-19 uh that's out there coming out of South Africa, which I believe is called the Omnicrom or something like that, something along those, something along those lines. I think they got tired of the uh, Greek alphabet. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right, but <laughs> it, it put a big shock through the market there. I think the Dow was down 800 points. You know, a lot of commodity things sold off as well. Nice rebound coming back this week. Probably the biggest surprise was oil. It had about a ten dollar shuffle down on Friday. So I guess as you take a look, at what's going on here? Um, your latest newsletter that came out and said, you know, everybody hold on to what you're doing here. You know, there's probably some more to come. I guess as you take a look at what's going on here, Sean, what are your thoughts about this? Well, first and foremost, the last month of the year is always a dangerous time, Casey. Always. It's year end. There's a lot of rebalancing that goes on. There's a lot of reshuffling that goes on. There's a lot of uh, squaring of positions that goes on. Liquidity dries up. Everyone's, you know, saying I'm less interested in trading. I'm more interested in whatever. But it's just always a, a dangerous time, and um, and quite frankly, you know, we had some pretty good moves in markets leading into this Thanksgiving period. The markets were just vulnerable. In the report I sent out, if you looked at, I put in all uh, an index or a chart of the all cash commodity index and an all ag uh, commodity cash index, and you can see that we've been fiddling with this 2011 high, and we've not been able to punch through it, and. You know, as I do, when markets are, you know, are at an important resistance level, either they break through or they throttle back down. And it obviously looks like we're going to throttle back down here for a little bit um, and, and, and have a correction into the end of the year. And then we'll give probably another rally to test that area again. And then we have to make another decision whether we're going to make all-time highs or, or not. But it looks to me like we're in correction mode. Whether one agrees or disagrees that the virus 
mutation is something or nothing. It really doesn't matter. It only matters the markets are caring about it and it's making people want to take some risk off the table. And that means caution, especially during the end of the year. So, yeah, well, probably pay attention to you there because I mean, the way they, I've heard more talk about reshutting down the economy and all that stuff all over the world and shutting stuff down out of South Africa and, and several other African countries and what that looks like. So, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a big deal. Definitely to pay. I, I I think that the, the big picture is whatever happens here, whatever actions the government takes, whatever the truth is or it isn't. When it's all said and done, we know how this story ends. It ends in greater shortages at the end, but we're not at the end. We got to get to the end first, and we can have some demand hits if <laughs> certain things happen again that that create these dysfunctions. And and remember our. You know, we're, we're far less prepared to handle any more disruptions today than we were when the virus first took place in 2020. So it's just a time to let the markets play out this thing out a little bit and, and get a sense for a consensus. And, th- and that might develop as we get into later, later this month in December or not this month, but you know, later in December. I just think it's a time for caution to be careful. Great opportunities on the buy side will occur. But if you're on the other side, if you're a producer of milk, if you're a producer of things and you've been thinking about selling or you need to sell or you have to raise some cash, we have some pretty good prices. I would definitely not wait if you're someone that knows you need to make some raise some cash. Go ahead and do that. We don't know how ugly this might or may not get. So, right. And that is the uh, the great unknown there. Is there's yeah. no, no one knows anything about anything right now. So, When in doubt, bird in the hand. If you're I'm a producer and I got a five and three quarters price on the futures for corn, I want, I mean, give me that burden of hand. If, if you're someone that knows you need to be selling, just get it done. Mm-hmm. You can always buy some, you know, you can always play the market later or to the upside when the dust settles and we understand what the, what the, how this is really going to play out. But I wouldn't, you know, play Russian roulette now with prices if you're a producer that needs to sell. Yep. So, so typically, Sean is, I don't know. <laughs> If being a an analyst that you get a like a you pay nineteen ninety five and you get a crystal ball and you can kind of shake that thing around a little bit and see what's going on here, but um, <clears throat> they give them to the used equipment guys to kind of see see what's going on in the used equipment market. So I'm, I would assume that you guys would get the same thing. But um, I'm reading an article here. It talks about dry conditions in the southern state of of uh, the Rio Grande uh, down in down in uh, Brazil, and uh, I think last week on. What was that Wednesday or Tuesday that we talked about that? You brought that up right at the end in your last uh, article that you just talked about that you put out um, on the 26th, I believe, talking about the um, that dryness starting to show more prevalence there in, in Brazil. And here's an article about it. So talk about that a little bit. You see there. Well, <clears throat> you know, we've had this very wet pattern in Brazil overall. The weather's been very, very good up to this point. Um, and we predicted that we thought we would have a, a much more beneficial, at least first part of the growing season in Brazil. But we uh, we saw this, we were in this sudden stratospheric warming event over the South Pole, over the Antarctic. Um, it's, I mean, in fact, we're still in it. It's not over yet. Um, but, uh, and, and typically you do get these kind of events in uh, Antarctica or over the stratosphere in Antarctica in the period from September, October, November. You know, this is the window that you typically get it. And the history of when you get that pattern and you disrupt the atmosphere 
is it tends to draw it, it tends to actually alter the typical trade winds that you get during the summertime in South America um, and and deflects them, which means it changes your normal wet pattern and it dries it out. That's been the history whenever we've had as we showed a chart going back to 1970 of all the sudden stratospheric warming events we've had, you know, and the pattern is a drying out phase, which means that the that uh, Argentina gets even drier than a La Nina would normally suggest, and that Brazil, uh, you know, will dry out. If it, and, and so I think we're, you know, there's typically a little bit of a delay. We talked about this last week between when a sudden stratospheric warming kicks in and when you see the full effects of its impact. But we do think that we're going to have a much drier January, February, March timeframe than we had in September, October, November. And, you know, is it, t- is it too late to clip the soybean crop in, in Brazil? No, it's not too late. The potting phase, as you know, is the key phase for, for soybeans. And that's what Brazil is about ready to head into is this setting pods. Of course, we're not too late for the second crop corn, which, you know, Casey was a disaster last year. You know, they're going to start planting that in February. So this is definitely something to pay attention to. Um, because it could be a big weather driver uh, in the first quarter once we get this Omnicon thing priced into markets. And that's what I guess where I'm getting at is I, I'm worried that there's not going to be a sufficient weather catalyst to override these bearish factors or these fears for the virus. That once we get into the first of the year, I think we're going to address those. And then the weather is going to start taking center stage again. So there should be some pretty good buying opportunities. If you're a livestock producer, buying corn, buying bean meal, buying those kind of things, I think the end of the year, early January, could be a really, really interesting time to be looking to increase your coverage of your feed needs. So right now that analysts are already chopping off about a million metric tons of the Brazilian corn crop um, already. So you start, that's, and we're still early into this thing. So it'd be, Definitely something else to pay attention to as we move forward into that. Well, just remember, you know, this first crop corn, which is the one that that's that we're talking about now, and then there's second crop corn. Right. Uh, first crop corn tends to be the crop that they use entirely themselves. Mm-hmm. The second crop corn, they tend to use a lot for themselves, but then that's the part that they export to the rest of the world. Uh, because last year's combined crop was so low, I think it was 85 million metric tons down from 110 what it was supposed to be, you know, they need a big first and a big second to rebuild those ending stocks. And then, and then, and then once they do that, then export to the rest of the world. So, you know, they really can't afford to have a a bad first or second corn crop at this point. So it's something to pay attention to. And it could be, as I said, remember that as China rebuilds their hog herd for the second time, post the second round of ASF they had in the early part of 2021, their need for corn, their need for soybeans is going to grow markedly. And if uh, if Brazil doesn't deliver on the current expectations, you know, we have some price adjustments ahead in the first half of the year to adjust for that. So that's, you know, kind of what's out there. And, and that's so, so that's the long-term picture that one has to keep in the back of their mind. But yet we still have to deal with this short-term picture of markets are under pressure. There's a lot of fear. And the history of markets is they tend to overshoot these kinds of times. So um, I guess what I was trying to convey in today's report was uh, opportunities are coming. Be patient. Don't try to jump the gun too soon. Let these markets play out, but be ready to pounce when they, when, when we get to the right moment in time. So good deal. All right. Let's talk about um, 
Let's talk about wheat. When are we? When are we starting to go into dormancy now? This is that time of the year where things start to go dormant, even though we've had some substantially warmer weather than normal. But I guess as you take a look at what's going on there, there is some, uh, I guess, some concerns a little bit about the wheat crop as it goes into dormancy this year. What are your thoughts as we head into this uh, kind of key time of of, uh, of wheat as we start looking into uh, the winter months here? Well, the winter wheat crop in the U.S., the winter wheat crop in Russia, um, the ratings are, you know, on the lower side of what you would like them to be, meaning they're not rated very well going into dormancy. Now, that, now you can look back on a chart, Casey, of, uh, of winter wheat crop conditions going into dormancy and what the yields turned out to be. And there's not a terribly great correlation because it's still the really, really, really matters is how's the post-dormancy spring season. Do you get the warmth? Do you get the moisture? That can override some, some poor conditioning going in. What it does do, though, is it does make the crops more vulnerable should we get a cold snap with insufficient snowfall. Um, so that you know, so so that's really what we'd be on the lookout for, Casey, is to see if we would could develop a situation where you get a cold snap at a time when snowfall is is insufficient. Um, it's tough to predict that. Because it's a it's a timing mechanism of when this this and when that and you know last year we did have one of those in February when snowfall was insufficient yet it took the market months to figure out that that actually did the damage that it did um, and then the market rallied later you know much later so but that really would be where what the what the impact would be from a low rate of crop going into dormancy is can we get that we'll be on the lookout for it you know we'll be monitoring it we'll be watching it closely to see if we can get that set up if we did get that of course you know then that. With, as long as Russia is saying we don't want to sell a lot of wheat to anybody until June, the market's not going to like that scenario if we were to get that combination. So that's something to pay attention to as we get further into the winter months here. So, Right on. All right. Let's jump in here and talk about the protein markets real quick. You got you know, cattle futures. <laughs> kind of looks like they're in a, a little bit of the top here. They've done some nice rallying over the last week and kind of what that looks like. But on the flip side, the hog market is just getting pummeled. So I guess as you take a look at those two things, obviously we're in those time, those months where um, you're not going to have much. Uh, you're not you're not a seasonal high or anything like that. So you're more uh, demands on the demand side. So I guess as you look at those two markets, what are your thoughts there? You know, I mean, we're, we're typically you know we're getting to the point where the seasonal demand's winding down for beef, winding down for pork, winding down for chicken. Um, uh, and of course, you know, virus fears, everyone remembers shutting down of packing houses, mm-hmm. <laughs> not good for cattle prices, you know, shutting down of food service, not good for meat demand. You know, it, that's the fear. That doesn't mean that's going to happen, but we've been through this, at least on the cattle side, we've been through many of these things where we had a fire, we had multiple shutdowns. And so, you know, if, if you know, that's a, that's a worry especially at a time of the year where seasonally we lose some demand here, Casey. So, you know, it's hard to imagine that the livestock sector as a whole isn't going to be impacted by these fears of economic concern, regional shutdowns, restrictions, all those kind of things that tend not to be good for consuming more meat products. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that people don't go out to the supermarket and buy more meat eventually. Eventually, they, history says they did do that during the last run, but it's a timing issue. And, um, 
And right now, I just think, you know, given that, you know, especially with the cattle market, we've had a nice rally. So we're kind of vulnerable for the market to say, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe we, we've gotten a little carried away here um, and we need to go down. Now on the pork side, we've lost Chinese demand. That's, the, that's something we've been talking about now for months. We've lost the Chinese demand for pork because of their mass liquidation event in 21 because of ASF. Um, that's on the mend. But, you know, that demand we don't think is going to come back, Casey, until we get into the mid-latter part of the first quarter. So we, the, the, the hog market has to fend for itself with U.S. demand and demand for Mexico and those kind of things. And there's just no way to overcome or make up the loss of the kind of demand we had from China in the prior year. And so I think hogs are going to struggle. Uh, we thought they would struggle anyway, but they're certainly going to struggle if these fears over the virus and what it may mean continue you know, into the end of the year, it's it's hard to see the hog market lifting its head up here for a little. And so, so once again, if I'm thinking, and I'm someone that's, you know, needing to sell, um, you know, some some cattle or needing to sell some hogs, I certainly would make sure those that supply that I know I need to get done. I I wouldn't wait around. I would make sure I got that done. Bird in the hand, better than three in the bush right now. So. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff as usual, um, Sean. Make sure you guys remember that you heard heard it here first on the Moving Iron Podcast about Sean talking about this dry weather in Brazil coming because I didn't hear anybody talk about it, and I read a lot of news until Sean brought it up, and here it is popping up here. So make sure you guys pay attention to what Sean is saying because I'm telling you right now, he uh, he knows things. He knows things that most people don't. So, Sean, thank First of all, I do my best. I, I I get things wrong. I'm not perfect at all. And 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 and, but but I I do think that, um, you know, I have a a pretty good way of looking at things and and seeing things um a little more clearly at times than maybe others. And and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. So you definitely do. Definitely. So, John, folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is that you're doing and, and the information that you're putting out there. What's the best way to do that? Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. As you know, we have uh, interviews with you on there with Real Vision, with market to market, sample reports, white papers to see, to give you everyone a good, clear indication of what we do and, ha- and if what we do may be of value to your listeners. So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com for all the latest information about the Moving Iron Podcast, Moving Iron Summit, as well as latest blog posts and also um, the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, There's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, Head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. 
Moving on.